we bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. From the files of Schlock and Awe, welcome to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV Creature Feature. Here are your hosts, Maddie Budrevich and Dave Wing. Don't you dare touch me! Stand back! No! Hello and welcome to episode two of Natural Selection, the podcast from myself, Dave Wayne, and my good friend Matty Budrevitz. Hello. Um, can you can you guys hear me? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're really phoning this in, and I really do apologise for taking your joke, but it was it was too good. Yeah, like you know, this episode two, and I'm already phoning it in. Such Brilliant. A, Quite literally and, and figuratively as well, because such is, this is how short my attention span is. <laughs> um, so, you know, just a quick recap. Episode one was, of course, spiders, octopus and uh, crocodile, that triumvirate, that impeccable legendary triumvirate from, from New Image, you know, their first creature film. So we thought we'd, um, we thought we'd really, you know, mix it up a little bit for episode two, didn't we? Yeah, it, uh, I mean... We did have other things that we were going to do, but we're still very much in that new image mindset. Um, and I think that what better way to wrap up discussion about spiders, octopus and crocodile than by focusing on their, well, equally as good sequels. You know, they're, um, they're wild and wacky movies. And more importantly, they sort of, encapsulate the ethos of a studio like New Image. Mm. You know, a company that are less maybe concerned about the artistic side of filmmaking, um, although credit to one of their executives, Boaz Davidson, who by all accounts is very much a creative kind of guy and is very in love with the craft of making movies. But these sequels are really representative of how New Image operate in the sense that if a movie is successful, they will immediately bankroll another one in the exact same mould. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. I mean, we're not talking about the law of diminishing sequels here, are we? I mean, the standard mm. here, the standard here is pretty is pretty high. Um, I mean, you know, we're going to start off with with Spiders Two in a second, and um, you know, Fangoria did say that this is primarily for hardcore cinemasochists, which is, you know... <laughs> Rather unfairly, I, I want to say, because, you know, as, as we'll go on to discuss, you know, the Spiders 2 is a, is a very good movie in and of itself, um, very different to the first film, but I don't think... You know, you made an interesting point earlier in the week um, when we were talking about this, uh, where you said the, the sort of reviews that are fired of these kind of movies mm. are just, they're just disgusting. It's like, I don't know whether it's a certain sense of snobbery or whether, you know, people think that they're, they're kind of better than these, but I just do not understand why people are so scathing about them when, at the very least, I acknowledge that they're very, very professionally made. 
these aren't some sort of ramshackle, kind, you know, like the kind of crap that's lurking at the bottom of Amazon Prime, where some <laughs> lunatic's just shot it with his mobile phone and has just stuck it on Prime, and they're promoting it all over Twitter with that hashtag support indie horror thing. You know, it's these are quality, moderately well-budgeted movies. With spiders and octopus in particular, being kind of snooty about them. I think I think it's the sort of degree where you know if if you if you look at these in two thousand and one, and then you you mm. somehow you know look into the future, and and go over to twenty nineteen and and switch on Sci Fi Channel and see what they're churning out now. I think you'd appreciate them a lot more in two thousand and one. Um, yeah, than, than people absolutely, did. Absolutely. Because considering where we've come with sort of very generic shark, uh, you know, variants and, and all that kind of thing. Um, these at the time you know they really did deserve more praise so let's begin with Spiders 2 Trapped Welcome aboard my ship You two are very lucky not just that we found you we actually have a real doctor on board He's going me For his own good No it isn't Surrounded by spiders Sam Furstenberg here, which is a guy we know well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, you at the end of this episode, we have got a great, great chat that uh, you con- you conducted with Sam um, earlier this week. Um, please stick around and listen to that because it is it, it's excellent, and more than anything, as well as going into a bit of detail of Spiders too, he goes into a lot of detail about how new image as a company operates so if you guys are interested in sort of the, the behind the scenes shenanigans of uh, director video filmmaking you, you you've got you've got to listen to that it's, it really is essential um and i know that we're going to be plundering a lot more of that conversation for the uh, schlock and all book um but yeah burstenberg uh director of spiders 2 um, even though it's called Breeding Ground on the DVD and on the uh, promotional material, on screen title is just Spiders Two, not no. not a numeral either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the, the number two in a wonderfully drippy, uh, kind of waxworky <laughs> Yeah. No, but um, Furstenberg, of course, um, he was the second choice Spiders Two. Mm. Um, originally, it was going to be helmed by uh, Gary Jones, who of course directed the first Spiders, but um, as Spiders' uh, post-production period overran, mm. um, he was stuck editing that, so they passed it over to Sam Furstenberg, who, uh, as he revealed to you, was was delighted mm. to uh, to have a good sci-fi and horror rather than just uh, an action movie. Yeah, um, I mean, we're opening on the, on the well, apart from, aside from a, a pre-credit sequence, we're opening on the high seas here, aren't we, with... Um, with Alex yeah. and Alex and Jason, who are who are bound for um, Hawaii on a sailing trip, um, the the rather the rather middle class people that they are, um, heavy store is upon heavy storm is upon us. Um, they capsize. They're rescued by a passing container ship, which is captained by the wonderful Captain Bigelow, by, played by Daniel Quinn. Uh, Jason is wounded in the process, um, but luckily. 
luckily on board they have um, the uh, the rather impending Doctor Gerback, played by uh, Richard <laughs> Mull, who is uh, who is quite the character for the six foot eight inch, um, very intimidating uh, statesman uh, that most people will uh, will know from either Night Court or those early Charlie Band films, be it um, Metal Storm or Dungeon Master. And, um, and Gerback is to no good. It's up to no it's good, soon, really, isn't it? It's soon, it's soon I, I think, what, within half a second of meeting him, uh, <laughs> it, it's pretty obvious that this guy is a mad scientist. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, fact, not... the, the fact that he refers to them as specimens um, kind of you know, <laughs> does sort of give it away a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and you know, he's sauntering around in a, uh, in a lab coat with, his, with, with, with that great sort of... Orson Welles looking beard. Oh, you yeah. Know, yeah. Awesome it's a uh, real, real salt and pepper deal going on there, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's yeah. deeply uncertain. And, you know, you know there's, a, there's a lot of mentions to uh, a strange organization called The Company. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of talk of The Company and how, how there's a lot of money in what's going on on this ship. And then, uh, and you know, uh, before all of that, in, in sort of the, the pre credits sort of preamble, you know, we see that there's some sort of lab. Uh, the dastardly Dr. Gerbach is um, making human-spider hybrids. He's impregnating a bunch of poor sons of bitches in a cryo chamber with, uh, with spiders. And he's got a massive, giant tarantula um, in some sort of weird perspex-type cage on the ship. So, um, and that's pretty much that's pretty much our setup for it. Yeah. Um, how how does this different differ from the first film? I mean, it, it it's it's outrageously different from the first film, isn't it? Uh, just just in in tone, it, in feel, in in sensibility. It's whereas the first film, you know, we talked a lot in episode one about the first one being like a fifties homage. Mm-hmm. You know, this this one is a much it's a much greater sort of sci-fi horror picture. It's yeah. much more, you know, and Furstenberg himself says that it, it's much more indebted to something like Alien um, and and very, much more explicitly body horror. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, we've got, we've got all that stuff in the first film. We've got some wonderful body horror sequences in that, like like we said about the spider burst out the astronaut's mouth, mm. yada, yada, yada. But in, in Spider's Two, it's much more. You know, it's almost a cliche to say, it, but it's much more Cronenbergian. It's yeah. a little weirder. It's darker. It's you know, it, it, it has that sort of sterile, cool, um, weirdly, sometimes kind of sexual tone to it as well. <laughs> you know, there's all these great sequences where whenever Gerbach is uh, is, in, is injecting. In, in their cryo chambers, whenever he's like pumping them full of, uh, you know, full, full of what the spider hormone or whatever the hell mm-hmm. it is, or whenever he's like watching someone get eaten by his giant spider, you know, he's got this look of mm. orgasmic ecstasy. Oh yeah, going on. You know, it, it is salacious, um, but yeah, it, it's a much in, in general, it's a much darker movie than the first one. Still, it's still not without a sense of fun. You know, but it's still it's still a very fun movie, and it and it is. You know, I think a lot of that rests upon um, the script, which again, like the first film, is mm-hmm. written by uh, our man Stephen Brooks, yeah. who, uh, you know, who, who came who, who came aboard Spiders Two straight on the bounce from That's the right. first one. Um, 
and you know he the script is very much in keeping with what he'd do on like the mangler that sort of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's 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 strange it's dark but there's sort of a, a real laconic tongue-in-cheek humor sort of simmering beneath the surface yeah i mean it, the isolation to it is is is, is the key mm. for me just just that being on that container ship, you can't get off. Uh, no one can get on. Um, the radio is is in inverted commas, you know, down. Um, yeah. And it's 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 just that 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 skanky, worn isolation of this of this you know metal structure that is just um, yeah, it, it, it's so grim. I mean, you, you, you know, you know full well that like the the fact it's set on a sh- on the ship on the high seas and mm. that's that's done for. Yeah, yeah. You know, you completely you know it's it's a completely pragmatic decision because yes, it is. It's kind of obvious that the budget is a lot lower mm. this time out. You know, the fact that the, the production itself, it, it, where the first film was filmed in and around Los Angeles, um, this one is it's Bulgarian. Mm. You know, you can test all the all the the crew on the the ship look Bulgarian. Yeah. The amount of ops listed in the names <laughs> of, in the end credits. You know, it, it's Bulgarian film. It's one of New Images Bulgarian productions. Mm-hmm. So, but while it was done obviously pragmatically and stuff, I think that it's done in such a way that it works for the nature of the story. You yeah. know, I think that it was it, the film is actually about isolation. Mm. You know, and in terms of look, you know, what Furstenberg said about doing it in a sort of alien style. You know, he. The production design of the film is no. uh, absolutely—it's just absolutely astounding. There's a there's a wonderful texture to yeah. it, you know. There's this drab colour scheme, um, and it's got what you know what I'd term that sort of Gerda Gothic look, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. something like Event Horizon mm-hmm. um, or Alien, and even like you know going back to the Mangler again, that sort of you know that that sort of uh, nightmarish steel. Mm. Structure type texture to it, and it and it, and it looks really, really great. Yeah, I mean, I think Furstenberg deserves a lot of credit for this, and it really shows his dexterity as well. You know, it was it was his first effort at a kind of horror sci-fi. You know, just in the uh, last in the last few years prior to this, he he'd, he'd done you know Operation Delta Force for New Image, which was his uh, his standard calling card of you know all guns blazing action spectacular. Um, uh, that he then uh, followed that up with Motel Blue, the um, the erotic thriller with Sean Young and uh, Robert Vaughan. And, and then, you know, the year after that, he did a little uh, sort of family kind of fair with, with Hulk Hogan and Grace Jones with McKinsey's Island. So uh, uh-huh. after sort of establishing himself in the 80s with those very uh, canon-esque canon films, um, you know, I think he really did, did, did show that he could have more strings to his bow, you know, during the, that late 90s yeah. millennium period. Yeah. You know, like obviously, yeah, you know, the canon his the movies that Furstenberg made for made for canon mm. were, you know, like the likes of uh, American Ninja One and Two. Mm-hmm. You know, they um, Ninja Three and mm. uh, Electric Boogaloo. You know, they are they are quintessential canon films, as you say that they are they're more canon than canon. Yeah. You know, but yeah, if, when people talk about canon, they are usually within the first three or four movies that they mention mm. in that sort of style. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, we, we, you know, he, but to how Furstenberg was to canon, he was 
it's equally important to New Image yeah. as well. You know, he was part of like the original slate of movies that the company made when they founded in 1992. Mm-hmm. You know, Helmin Cyborg, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, but of course, I, I think he's more he's more adaptable in New Image than he was in Canon, and oh, I yeah, think they yeah. gave New Image gave him great scope to play around with different kinds of material. You know, and yeah. I think that the, the big appeal to me about Spiders 2 is that we are we are seeing a very, very interesting body horror film directed mm. by a man who's generally more well-known for his rambunctious action movies. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas here we've got a film that relies a great deal on tension, mm. on strange imagery. You know, there's, I, I don't think there's any coincidence that we have, uh, you, know, you know, there's that wonderful sequence in Spiders 2 where um, the lead guy, Jason, mm-hmm. who uh, is played by Greg Cromer, he's, he's strapped to a gurney, he's having a nightmare, and he's been wheeled around the ship. Yeah. And, you know, we see, we see Richard Mould's Dr. Gerbach. We see uh, the ship's captain, who was uh, played by Daniel Quinn from, of course, Scanner Cop. But that whole gurney sequence, there's a reason why it's it, it, it's done as a Jacob's Ladder homage because mm-hmm. this, this is a this is a director having fun with horror material. This is a director embracing, you know, the, the strange and weird nature of Stephen Brooks's script. Oh, yeah. And you know, he, he does that in, in, incredibly well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, let's go back to those. Um to those excellent cast members there. You mentioned Daniel Quinn, you know, the star of, mm-hmm. of Skinner Cop, who of course died uh, really early at the age of uh, 58, uh, a couple of years yeah. ago. Um, yeah. And also, um, you know, uh, we must pay pay uh, pay tribute to Stephanie Nisnik, who died only two two months ago, three months ago at the age of 52. Uh, she made her film debut in Exit to Eden. Uh, she may be uh, a little bit better known for the TV drama Everwood, uh, before she retired from acting in 2002. But she really is such a, a pivotal part in this film. She's absolutely amazing in Spiders 2, and it was really sad. Yeah, you um, know, yeah, she, 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 she's the most valuable player in the film. Yeah. You know, she, she's the one who... She, she's on screen the most. Um, you have to sort of... You know, you know, we sort of... For the most part, we see the film through her eyes. Um, that's it. That, one flaw, though, I think, of Spiders 2 is that Furstenberg angles a little bit too much where we're trying to be on the side of Jason mm-hmm. at first, you know, where we sort of seeing the film, how he sees things through, you know, through the, the paranoia, because obviously he's the guy who suspects that this ship ain't quite right. They aren't being rescued, mm. you know, they're, they're, they're doomed, mm-hmm. you know, so and well, we, tend to, we, we sort of stick with him for a while, but... Mm. Really, the more interesting character would be experiencing the entirety of the film through um, Nisnik's Alexandra, which we do ultimately do towards the end. Yeah, well, you know? well, for me, you've got two. You've got two jewels, two key jewels in the whole film. You got one, uh-huh. which is Jason uh, versus Gerbach, and it's their kind of um, face-off f- uh, for the picture. And also, you got Alex um, against um, Captain Bigelow. For the film, which, which is another jewel, because you got him, you know, uh, Bigelow, call me Jim, uh, who is just this this this, this smoothie with a pencil moustache who is rather he's a little bit over eager, really, isn't he? And he just he just exudes. Uh-huh. He's like a, like like a horny Steve Buscemi. He, he, yeah, he, he's got 
he's, he's got the weas- the Weasley sort of features of Steve Buscemi, but also um, he kind of had. Sorry, to... is it Buscemi? Is that, is that the pronunciation? It is Buscemi. Buscemi. Yeah. Um, Buscemi. He... I am so sorry for years. I've been calling Buscemi. <laughs> he, um, he's also got that. Corrected, man. Thank you so much. That's my pleasure. Um, he's also got the. Um, the over-eagerness of kind of a Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters, I thought, you know, where he's trying to woo Sigourney Weaver by sort of, um, you know, turning, yeah, up, turning yeah. up his stereo really, yeah, really loud as well. Um, it just, you know, just an, a, a real cheese ball um, awkwardness. And I think uh, that those two duels, Alex against Bigelow and, and Jason versus Gerback, is two very separate uh, themes which are going on at the same time. But of course, they do ultimately cross paths as they would have to do. On the whole, sort of wrapping up this little segment, What's your final thoughts on Spiders Two? What do you think of it as um, as, as as an entire horror picture, as an, as a creature feature? I, I love it, but you know, I mean, I, I don't want to put a spoiler in for what we're talking about later. But I would not, I wouldn't double bill it with Spiders One. I, I think I'd have to pitch it with 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 something else because it they're two brilliant films on their own right, but I don't think they fit together particularly well um yeah, because it's yeah. so it's so totally different from from the first film you know as we said before just just so much darker so much more claustrophobic uh it's a it's a great film it, it's great and i know there's a lot of knockers towards the cgi at the end but to me you know the, those spiders that infiltrate the final few sequences are, are more intimidating than the ones in the first film you know that there's more of them the smaller and they really do uh, sort of make your skin crawl as opposed to the comic book nature of, uh, of the first film. My feelings towards it, on the, on the whole, I think it's a, it's a great little movie. I think it's a real, um, again, like I, I find that in situations like this, we end up breaking out the cliches. Like, what, what is a gem anymore? Who are we to say what a gem is? You know, the word is, mm. everyone's got a gem these days, you know, like the words become nothing. So, mm. um I don't want to sort of insult Spiders 2 by calling it a gem because no. that's how I feel that that word's become now. Mm-hmm. But I think as, as a horror film, it's a real uh, it's a real treat. Yeah. You know, as a, as a work of low-key body horror that sort of descends into a bit of creature feature. I don't, uh, would I say silliness of the film? Kind of, because obviously, one, as you said about the, the CGI Spiders, um, which again are rendered by uh, Scott Coulter. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not quite as convincing as the CGI in any of the other new image creature features. No, I think no. that the last ten minutes of Spiders exhibits some of the worst CGI mm-hmm. of new. Like, and, and I can't be to the point where I find it hard to even sort of put forward my usual argument of well, bad CGI is just as charming as bad practical effects. <laughs> because I think in Spiders 2, it is just kind of dodgy. Yeah. But the idea that the, of the spiders running around the place and the creepiness of that, yeah. you know, that, that's really, really good. The last, the last bits of Spiders 2, if you, can do, if you can accept it as an idea rather than as a successfully realised visual, I think it's very creepy. Um, but I don't think... In terms of a creature feature, a pure classic monster on the loose creature feature, Spider Two isn't that movie. It's more just a strange, low-key body horror item with spiders in it. You're listening to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV creature feature. Wait a minute! Call for backup. Right, an octopus from New York Harbor. Killing cops, tourists, and dogs. 
Can you see my problem? You can see it. I told you that city was dead. I've got all units responding, but frankly, it's a mess down there. Say that there was a fine line between being really stupid and really brave. Actually, no matter what side of the fence you're following, never have any regrets. Clip from Octopus 2 there, our second film that is up for discussion on episode 2 of Natural Selection. And Octopus 2 takes us to New York. I use that term loosely. Um, and we're under the stewardship. Under stewardship of the uh, of the prolific uh, Yossi Vine, uh, who is one of our favourites, isn't he? Yes, we are big fans of, y- of Yossi Vine or Yossi Vine, depending on how you want to say. I'm going to go with Vine. Um, I'm going to go with Vine as, know, in, you, as in great Vine. Hey man, you, you correct me with the uh, what is it? Bushemi. 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 Man, so I'm, I'm I am correcting you with Yossi Vine, uh, but yeah. Big, uh, big, big fans of the cinematographer turned director Yossi Vine. Um, Yossi, of course, um, like so many of the other directors we and writers we've talked about with these new image films, you know, to sort of go over his entire career would be a little bit redundant, and mm. it would probably just eat up the entire slot of Octopus <laughs> too. Um, but Yossi was, in short basically part of the New Image fold. Yeah. You know, he had been with New Image since the beginning. He actually directed the first film for uh, New Image, which was Lethal Ninja, all mm-hmm. the way back in 1992. And his uh, cinematographer credits include the second New Image film, which, of course, was Sam Furstenberg's Cyborg Cop. Um, he lent Cyborg Cop 2 before um, being handed the reins of several notable New Image films. Uh, projects of uh, of which Octopus 2 is I would say up there with Cyborg Cop 3 as Yossi Vine's best film yeah um, I, w- I would say that I mean Sam sort of made the aspersion that Yossi was sort of given the cast off the, the cheap stuff to direct and yeah like the films he directed in the 1990s like Never Say Die with, with, with Frank Zagarino and Billy Drago which was kind of a, a new image riff on the whole David Koresh Waco situation and then he uh-huh. did another film about a cult leader in, in 2003 which is Sudden Damage which is, is probably like his weakest film with a lot and it does feel very consigned to this 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 underground location that new 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 image must have got on the cheap um but overall i mean you know both old operation delta force 2 and operation delta force 5 are really decent entries into that much maligned franchise um yeah so absolutely absolutely yeah so, so I, I think he's i think he's great um i mean it's it's sort of he is kind of the anomaly in all of the six new image creature features between Spider Octopus and, and Crocodile in that, you know, you've got, you know, Toby Hooper, Gary Jones, um, Sam Festerberg, really not not A list directors obviously, but you know, fairly iconic characters in the B movie universe. Yeah. And then you and, and sort of with you can I wouldn't miss you know, like Hooper Toby Hooper, absolute or well, yeah, yeah. Gary Jones or tourist trait, Sam Furstenberg or tourist trait. You know, they're not mm-hmm. Furstenberg and Jones aren't sort of like you know, they're, they're not um 
they're not grounded by similar obsessions or anything like you know they don't seem to sort of plunder the same artistic tapestry for each movie and stuff but no. you can see that there's they have they have their style they have their sort of defaults and stuff Yossi Bean the anomaly in the sense that he's I don't want you know a journeyman sounds mm. too insulting yeah. he's just a very very good set of hands he's a very reliable director he will deliver the goods and he excels at you know at giving you the meat and potatoes action sort of stuff you yeah. know and I think that's why, in that sense, that Octopus 2, you know, we, we talked about, the, when we talked about the first film, we said that, like, and, and you, you know, one of your reasons for loving the original Octopus is that it is so all over the shop. You know, <laughs> it's just, there's so many things going on in it. Whereas Octopus 2, which uh, has got the, the great subtitle on the American VHS, yeah. River of Fear, oh. which I love, um, Octopus Two is is the film that you, that most people would probably have wanted Octopus One to have been. Yeah, yeah. Have been sorry, you know, like rather than ra- rather than the sort of strange mix of espionage um, and you know um, military thriller and then a little bit of creature feature, Octopus mm. Two, it, you know, it it puts its cards out right away that this yeah. is, this is a film. In which an octopus is going to terrorise the Hudson River in New York, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it, it right from the outset, you know. Obviously, um, it is it is a shameless, shameless Jaws ripoff. Um, you know, it follows a lot of Jaws almost beat for beat at yeah. times. You know, you've got Michael Riley Burke, who was but, um, but one year away from starring as Ted Bundy yes. in uh, Matthew Bright. Uh, film of the same name mm-hmm. um, you know he, he's, he's the chief Brody character yeah, yeah. you know he, he's the guy on the uh, New York City Police Department scuba team mm-hmm. uh, the Harbour Patrol whatever who is trying to convince everyone that there is a jack there is a jack in octopus floating around the Hudson River um, pulling people into the murky depths mm-hmm. um, of course the mayor and his and the police captain, they don't want to believe that no. because it is the 4th of July, damn it, and they are going to have a regatta. <laughs> you know, there is a regatta going on. It's going to bring money to the city and they can't have Michael Riley Burke causing this much of a panic about some eight-tentacled terror. No. You know, um, utterly, utterly shameless. And uh, But credit there to um, Michael D. Weiss, who mm-hmm. uh, of course wrote the original Octopus, yeah. and um, as, as I guess we we sort of semi officially christened him last week, um, uh, last last episode. Sorry, is uh, is the director video sequel guy? He is that know? sequel so guy. Just, he is that to sequel recap guy. A little bit with, with Weiss. He, he's got. I'll always know what you did last summer. Mm. Butterfly Effect Two, Hostel Part Three, Jarhead Three. Mm. You know all that stuff to his credit. Um, and again, like Yossi Vine, very much in the new image fold at the yeah. time. You know, so he'd already wrote the original Octopus. Croc- uh, he had a hand in Crocodile script. Yeah. Was writing US Seals two for Isaac Florentine. But credit to him and credit to Boris Davidson and Danny Lerner who get the story credit because if you're gonna copy, you copy from the best. <laughs> I mean... and, I, and I think that, that one of the the best thing about Octopus 2 is that it's 
right, we're going to model ourselves after Jaws here. We're mm-hmm. going to do exactly the same things Jaws does, and we mightn't have the money, we might have the skill of Spielberg, but we're just as professional, and we're going to give you just as much of a thrilling time with it. And yeah. for the most part, Yossi Bean and Michael Weiss do exactly that. Yeah, um, I mean... The way you described it kind of makes it a very sort of A to B to C kind of film. But for me, it's it's the it's the weird sort of um, tangents that goes off at that, that really make it. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. this this insane thing about the drug smuggling judge that sort of hovers around the whole film, and and, and kind <laughs> yeah. of um, and it's kind of used to 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 make uh, sort of Nick Hartfield uh, known to both the mayor and 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 the, and the captain. And then you've also got um, Rachel Starbird. Of course, is, is, is Riley Burke's character. Yeah. Um, you've also got Rachel Starbird, which is a brilliant name, um, played by Meredith Morton, who works for the mayor's office. And, of course, she's got like, these kids that she needs to transport by bus, and the kids are from, like, everywhere, all kinds of nationalities. And so there's this kind of thing that comes from nowhere, but it kind of introduces both Rachel Starbird uh, to Nick Hartfield. Um, and kind of gives them a, a sort of a kind of semi-romance interest, love interest yeah, yeah. thing that never really materialises, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, that, that's um, kind of a weird thing. Then, then you've got the, sort of, um, the new partner, played, play, um, Tony, played by John Thaddeus as well. And then you've got the homeless guy who, who's, you know, who, who's the guy that really does sort of blow up the whole thing. You see what he says, he's kind of says... Um, uh, the homeless guy, of course, is played by Clement Blake, who uh-huh. is, who who played a homeless man in, in I think over a dozen things. Yeah, that's kind of his yeah. turn card. He was like in from Kirby Enthusiasm to Mouse Hunt, he was always the homeless guy, um, and he plays it to a tape because <laughs> that's his thing. Um, yeah, he yeah. Uh, sort of seems to specialise. You know, it, it's almost like a a book flower. He, he's sort of more book flower than book flower. You know, yeah, sort of, yeah. It specialises in playing hobos and transients. Mm. You know, sadly, uh, no longer with us, passed no. away in 2012. But um, you know, I, I, again, I guess it ties into the ethos. If you're gonna, if you're gonna copy something, if you're gonna do something that is an imitation, you get, you know, you right. We need a homeless guy for this. We need to get the <laughs> best damn homeless guy we can afford. Mm. You know, so that they get Clement Blake. Mm. You know. Mm. Um, in what you said about his character, though, you know, and I think on the subject of the tangents that Octopus Two goes off on, yeah. I think that the homeless angle is probably my my favourite. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that whole that it, it touch it should to it. Mm. You know, where they've got you've got this homeless community sort of dwelling yeah. in the city. Oh yeah. Um, I, I wish they do more. I, I wish they did more with that. Mm. Yeah. That little sort of yeah. that little pocket where we see them all under there. I think it's um, it's a real interesting kind of offbeat little touch. Mm. You know, and it sort of it sort of plays against the more. Um, I don't want to say cliched because I think cliche always. It gives it cliche gives the impression that um, you know when, when something's cliche, the, the impression is that it, it was it's done unknowingly. That's how I always think about it. That they've sort of they've done it and they haven't realised they're doing it. Yeah. I think Yossi Vine as a director and Michael Weiss as a as a scripter are mm-hmm. a lot more in tune to to knowing what a cliche is, and I don't think they use cliche so 
much as they use like archetypes and sort of frameworks mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, which is why they have that sort of Jaws sort of uh, model to the script because they know that's going to work. So let's really angle in into that. And you know, and and one of the interesting touches in that, um, probably the only the only comment I actually agree with on uh, IMDb about Octopus Two is some reviewer called it, um, you know, like. NYPD blue with an octopus you know and I think that it's you know the whole procedural aspect is really really cool and I yeah. think that the way that Weiss and Veen use the whole um, veteran partner sort of thing because yeah, yeah. he's put in for a transfer from the Harvard department to get a desk job I like that little aspect of it and that's like probably one of the most well rounded subplots you know yeah. like um, Michael Riley Burke's partner Mm-hmm. Who uh, is played by Frederick Lean, who yeah. uh, who does have um, decent form in the uh, when animals attack department? Because um, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but the uh, but Jack, uh, what's he called, John Lafayette, mm-hmm. I think his film Man's Best Friend, the, yeah. you know, the killer dog shocker, Will yeah. Henriksen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Frederick Lean, um, he gets probably the most memorable death in that. He gets his, uh, he gets. <laughs> <laughs> he gets his face um, blasted by acidic dog piss <laughs> by, the, uh, by the killer dog. So, yeah, that's just a, a little creature feature kind of touch just to put in there. But, um, yeah, but that whole sort of veteran partner mm. um, angle, is, is it, it's good fun. You know, yeah, like, I think on the whole, <clears throat> none of the characters in Octopus 2 are especially deep, but within no. the context of what happens on screen... Um, I like them, and uh, I care enough about them to keep watching. Yeah, you know? I mean, so, you, you can, you can, we, we can, we can. I mean, we're not, we didn't, but you know, you could shrug Weiss off lazily as kind of that sequel guy. But you know, there's some great lines in there. You know, you know, um, oh, we've got the wrong guy. Hell, we've got the wrong species, um, which is a, a brilliant line. And then you know, uh, you don't need a mayor, you need Jack Cousteau, which is kind of a lot of the kind of small witty. Lines that are missing from from some of these films. Unlike the first octopus, which you know, like which there is a you know, we we said we we both we both really like it. um, You know, and it it is a good film in and of itself. But like I said earlier, this is a more conventional creature feature. Mm That you know, so it does have more cheesy lines. It does have a more good time vibe to it. It does have a you know, it's got a greater emphasis on action. You know, like just as just as you think they're running out of steam with the whole octopus thing. You know, yeah. the, the octopus gets destroyed, and it's like, well, wait a minute, we've still got fifteen minutes of runtime left. What the <laughs> hell are we going to do? Suddenly, they have, you know, they have the whole disaster movie mm. element kicking into it, which is, you know, we've sequence. got the, the school bus trapped yeah. in a tunnel that's flooding that, that the octopus has caused. Yeah, you know, and of course, it is. You know, just an excuse for uh, for new image to sort of plunder the stock footage vault. Um, I believe, uh, according to IMDb, um, you know they re- they managed to acquire some stock footage from the Sylvester Stallone film Daylight. Yeah. And you know that that fits into direct-to-video practice at the time. You know, yeah. Octopus Two is from that wonderful millennial era of direct-to-video filmmaking, where mm-hmm. before the directors guild got involved you could go to a studio and you could plunder their library for stock footage to sort of boost your own production values for your own films. You know, probably the most famous exponents of that would be someone like 
Jim Wynorski who mm-hmm. made a, a whole raft of wonderful little action and disaster movies that were, you know, sewn together from footage from bigger budgeted productions. Yeah, well, that, you know? you know, that, that, that fits in nicely to, uh, to the chat we had with Carrie Coughlin uh, earlier this week, mm-hmm. who, of course... Um, I think she worked with New Image for about three years. Uh, she edited Octopus 2 and I think seven other features, mainly for Yossi. And she told oh. us this week that, um, you know, prior to working at New Image, she hadn't really edited much action. But um, Danny Lerner, uh, in reference to the stock footage, would say, you know, just shrug his shoulders and say, well, you know, men in black are men in black, uh, which kind of, meant to, <laughs> kind of meant that you were free to mix and match explosions or whatever from the library of films that they owned. You know, Danny would tell her that the various films, which various films to look through and pull shots from that they could use. And um, so she said it got to the point where that, that she would build a story out of the many shark attack films and Danny would literally write a story to shoot around it, which is just insane. But on Yossi himself, he, uh, she said that he had a great eye for action and coverage and was just really good at choreographing action sequences. Uh, on Octopus oh. 2 for example he had a, they had a mocked up tentacle with a stick on the end that someone off camera would wave in front of the lens which is just yeah. it's just brilliantly cute um, she goes on to say well, how know, sorry the, 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 that tentacle effect sorry oh, yeah. Jeff there um, that tentacle effect is, mm. is really good you know that, that whole I know it's a lot of like you know a lot of the cast sort of clearly wrapping the tentacle around themselves and crashing about a bit <laughs> spend enough time talking about these things um yeah i mean just just on the subject of yossi you know uh, carrie said how he was so ambitious he would think of so many elaborate action scenes to shoot with planes and cars going under them or take off all kinds of things and she said he was a lovely man just very smart quiet drank a little too much um but he was just a great polish gentleman who was uh, a great dp and a, a great director um and that's it really I mean she, she really did have a, a great um, it seems that she had a really great time working with him and working for New Image um, and you know to sort of again sort of uh, bring it round to our final thoughts on yeah. uh, Octopus 2 I think that the sense of fun does translate to the screen very very well you know and, and uh, I feel like I've probably said it three or four times now but Octopus 2 is probably you know it's it, it, it's the film that if you want to see some octopus action, mm. you know, it, it, in, the rel- in the relatively small pantheon of uh, octopus cinema, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it is, it is probably the, I'd stick my neck out on my line and say it's the definitive example of it. 
It is. I mean, yeah. What coming around to watch these three films? Yeah, again, I mean, Octopus Two is the one that really does, you know, make me moist with anticipation for uh, for what's contained within. Because it's, it's, I find it the most enjoyable of the three. I think you'll disagree, but I love it. I mean, and one thing that we haven't touched upon, I must mention briefly, is the second unit footage of New York, which I think is absolutely marvelous. It really does make you think, if you don't think too hard, make you think that you're in New York. Uh, I mean, the opening, yeah. the opening of the film itself is very kind of zombie flesh eaters. Uh, it gives you that shot of the Hudson River and you think, oh, you know, it does take you back to full key. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to, you know, uh, compare full key to a to a, a B-movie creature feature because that's been done. Hey, I, I, I tell you what, man, there is a lot of people who give full key. I, I'm going to say right now, full key has belted out a lot of crap as well. <laughs> As well well, as, there uh, go half our listeners. <laughs> as, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm putting, I'm setting my stall out right now. That for as much as I love his zombie quartet, and for as much as I love Don't Torture a Duckling, mm. Lizard in a Woman's Skin, he has got uh, equal amounts of shit as he does brilliant. <laughs> you know, and, and I think that um, just to be very, very clear, that we tend to give a lot of his stuff a pass just because it's Fulci and just because. Ooh, it's Italian and made in the 70s. You know, like... So if people are going to be difficult about these gorgeous little creature features, you know, fall to them. You're listening to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV creature feature. A tropical storm brought down their plane. Now, an unlikely band of survivors are trapped in the swamps of Mexico. And they're not alone. You hear that, man? Something is waiting. Something is watching. Something is out there. Take it to the shack! Crocodile 2, Death Swamp. Fresh from the multi-toothed jaws of the crocodile there, we're onto Gary Jones's Crocodile 2, Death Swamp. Or should it be Death Roll? I'm more of a roll guy. I don't know about you. Um, um, I, I definitely, purely because of the fact that we actually see the uh, eponymous Death Roll, mm. um, I, I, I just think Death Roll is the better title. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's, that's kind of a redundant argument, really, because the whole damn thing's set in a swamp, so it could be Death Swamp as well. <laughs> yeah. I've, I, have, I have offered no clarity on this situation <laughs> whatsoever. But on a uh, personally, Death Roll, because it just, just uh, no pun intended, roll off the tongue oh, better than Swamp. Smooth. Yeah, no, I'd go for that. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of comparisons here with, with Toby's film, isn't there? I mean, we got Jace... And Adam uh, writing the script, um, mm-hmm. and um, yes, um, yeah, yeah, and we have a crocodile. So you know, it, it's basically you know a, a a sequel. But again, you know, like all the new image films, we're we're in completely different territory that uh, to the first film with whole new characters, whole new scenario, and mm-hmm. um, a whole new setup. Um, but you you like this a great deal, don't you? You're a big fan. I, um, I, you know what? I think I've just got some sort of for crocodile movies. <laughs> um, I never, never really thought about it until we started doing the uh, this whole podcast or when mm. we started 
when we started writing the uh, the notes for uh, 88 films is Anaconda yeah. box set, I sort yeah. of realised that the, the films I gravitated towards most of the, the creature feature continuum is uh, the ones that tend to involve crocodiles and alligators. They mm. just uh, they're just my bag, baby. I don't <laughs> know why they just are. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, I like Crocodile too a great deal. I think um, in no uncertain terms, uh, you know, I like the first film. I'm acutely aware of its flaws, but I think on the whole, I think it's an excellent, excellent little movie. Mm-hmm. You know, we've uh, you've got a returning Gary. Uh, you've got to say returning. Sorry, returning to the new image creature feature called Gary Jones. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why Toby Hooper They did. Um, they did the the other film that New Image, New Image were doing in India at the time, didn't they? Which was Air Panic, which was for Bob. Yeah, um, yeah, they, yeah, Panic. They, they, yeah, um, around about the same time as Crocodile Two, um, they uh, had the scripts for Panic mm-hmm. and uh, Derailed, the Jean Claude Van Damme oh, yeah, movie. Yeah. That was uh, yeah, that was directed by um, Bob Mizurowski, who of course I guess kickstarted New Image's interesting creature features um, mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety nine when he. Um, it's. I mean, 
I may be a little bit off by saying this, but for me, it, it's kind of it's it's the octopus one of this second wave. In that for that first half oh. hour, you are a little bit not not befuddled or bemused, but you're a little bit um, you have a raised eyebrow at the fact that you know one second you're in the Arizona Millennium Bank, then you're in Orange County Airport, and then suddenly we're in Acapulco as well. You're kind of thinking, well. How do these three locations, how are they going to marry up and, and where are we going? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Compared to Octopus 2, where you have an octopus in the first couple of shots, or Spiders 2, where you have a spider in the first couple of shots, we are left here you know, waiting with, with rabid anticipation for that first um, set of jaws to come clamping down upon some poor bastard's leg. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it does kind of have that, that that you know patience testing thing, but I, I think that that's for me that that's fine, you know. Here, here, here's the thing, right? With a from dusk till dawn type narrative, mm. you know, like with, with the whole thing where it starts off as one movie and then there's boom, an, an, an abrupt change, mm. right? Mm. With from dusk till dawn, it's successful um, because unless you've seen a trailer or seen the poster you would have no clue that that film is about vampires until <laughs> the vampires show. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a crime film. It's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a Tarantino crime film mm-hmm. until the vampires show. Yeah. Now, with something like Crocodile 2, Death Roll, they would have got away with it if the film was called just purely Death Roll or Death Swamp. Now, yeah. apparently, um, according to Gary Jones, Death Swamp is actually his preferred title for the film, just sim- just a simple Death Swamp. Right, okay. Now, the, so the problem with the with doing the From Dust Till Dawn thing with Crocodile 2 is people who are watching it are waiting for the crocodile. In that sense, you know, the fact that it takes, you know, a good, around, a good half hour before mm. the crocodile shows up. Yeah. You know, I can see why you or other people might think, you know what, this is a bit patience testing. This isn't the film that's advertised on the DVD cover. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the actual setup to the film, it's, it's a bunch of bank robbers who end up hijacking an aeroplane during, during a storm. Does, does that, does that it sound... Crashes, it crashes into the swamp and they're trying to get their loot back. Does basically. that sound familiar in any way? Does it sound familiar? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking William Wesley's Scarecrows. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? Wow. Yeah. They're even going Holy to Mexico, shit. you know? That is like, you know, that is so, now you've said it, that is so obvious, man. It's weird, isn't that it? Is you know? so, just completely, I, I hadn't even made that parallel. <laughs> like, that is just, yeah. That's it, all right. It's the, I, setup, it's the setup for Scarecrows. I can't. I can't. Wow. Take, I can't take credit. I read it somewhere. So yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm not that intelligent. Um, oh, but yeah, man, I, I read it and like, I thought, I was like, wow. Jesus. I, was, I was all set to demand that we start recording this segment again, so I wasn't caught as unaware. But seeing as though, seeing as though you pilfered the idea from someone else, no, whatever. I did. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, that's a great. That, that is a great. Um, yeah, that's that's a great parallel to make. But it is, you know, it, it, it's it's the setup for scarecrows. It's a bank robbery, a hijack. A crash landing in a mm. desolate location, but obviously, unlike scarecrows, which veers off into the supernatural and mm. strange and all that stuff, this we literally we end up in the middle of a Acapulco swamp, mm. and uh, and it, and it is just it's it's it, we we go into classic 
animal attack territory from that point. Yeah. Um, we've got a real cosmopolitan cast of people in this, haven't we? I mean, Mia, who is potentially the one likable character in the film, played mm. by Heidi Lenhart. Um, I mean, funnily enough, she has a, a weird um, a weird background with, with, with our schlock and all work and the fact that her mm. father-in-law is, is Haim Sabin, the CEO of Sabin Entertainment, who, of course, uh, bankrolled so many classic 90s DTV films like Blindfold, Axel yeah. Session and, and Virtual Seduction. Um, and she had a really small film career that never really went anywhere, which same could be said for Chuck Voltzak, who, who played... Um, uh, her boyfriend Zach, who you know, I think Crocodile Two was his last feature film, and he, he, you know, that was pretty much it for him. But aside from that, you've got the the the, the, the motley crew of bank robbers, like John Sklarloff, who plays Sol, Daryl Thies, who plays Max, and of course he died um, aged only forty two in, in two thousand and nine. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a kind of motley crew of of people that you never you never really like them, do you? I think I think uh, Mia is. It's pretty much the only likable character in the film, and that even goes for Martin Cove as, as well. Really, he's a bit of a bit of a wanker. You, you know, I'm I'm going to say though that while yes, she's she's the only one who's conventionally likable. Yeah. I think all the others, it, it's going back to that whole Tarantino vibe. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not that whole. They're all kind of reprehensible eccentrics. You know, they're all they're all very memorable. They're all very very entertaining to watch. You know, going back over what you said about the uh, the bank robbers. Again, you know, you've you've got the the late great. Um, how how did you say it, Daryl Daryl Thieves? I went with Thieves. Thieves, well, and you know he's he's the suave, potty mouth, ruthless leader of the bad guys. I sort mm. of discount um, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> you know he. I can feel him rolling in his grave. Like, yeah, you know, basically he's employed just to be a complete leather trouser wearing badass who shouts motherfucker a lot. <laughs> you know, and, and he's great. Um, you know, John Scarloff, who you know, as you say, he, he's the, the Weasley sort of psycho rapist. Oh, he's, he's grim, isn't he? Um, oh, he's such a grim know, character, leering, sleazy. Oh. Yeah, um, and he's got that, and, and you know, he's got that kind of creepy Vincent Gallo vibe to yeah, him, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, of course, Scarloff as well, and um, for anyone who watches uh, Gotham, he's probably best known for his uh, memorable memorable turn as the uh, assassin Billy Boy, who popped up in an episode of that. Um, you know, you've got the you've got the Cockney nutcase Pete, who uh, <laughs> uh, swiftly dispatched, played by Billy, Billy Rick. Mm. Um, I, I seriously doubt he's ever been to London in his life. You know, there's a serious <laughs> case of Dick Van Dyke to how he pronounces yeah, things. Yeah. You know, um, and then uh, the the, ner- the sort of nervy member of the bank robbers, uh, Squid, who uh, is played by James Parks, uh, the, yeah. the son of the late great Michael Parks. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, to sort of further the film's Tarantino illusions, yeah, um, so. um, you know. James Parks, he'd go on to become something of a Quentin Tarantino regular. Yeah, um, yeah. Fittingly, he would play the son of uh, Sheriff Earl McGraw, um, Edgar McGraw in From Dustful Dawn 2, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Death Proof. Um, and of course, the character of Sheriff Earl McGraw was actually played by his real life dad, Michael Parks. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 you've got the Tarantino influence there as well. But, you know, they, they are a very entertaining bunch, um, very, very unlikable. You know, you, uh, you spend uh, 
creation. You want to see, you want to see these bastards get eaten by the crocodile. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and you know, and it works in that sense. You know, you you want to see them get eaten. You want Mia to survive, mm, and mm. it's just nice seeing uh, Martin Cole pretend to be a, a drunken sort of helicopter pilot. <laughs> it's just a nice, it's just nice to experience. But uh, I, mean, I, I said he wasn't like a likable character, but he's essential to the film. I think I think he's probably the most essential character in the film. Uh, yeah. I mean, you take him out, and I don't think you'd have the same crocodile too, because it's just no, 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 at all. And, and especially as you know, Martin Cove, who uh, yeah, gosh, we could do. I, I I seriously think we should do um, uh, sometime in the future. We need to do a podcast devoted to the director video work of Cove. This guy's CV. <laughs> is astounding mm. you know he is it's marvellous some of the stuff on there um, Crocodile 2 is a great great role for him mm. um, you know purely because he gets like the best sequence in the film is the uh, the boathouse that yeah. whole boathouse sequence where mm-hmm. the crocodiles attacking them in the, attacking the what criminals are left over and the few good survivors yeah. in the boathouse is marvellous mm. and mm. you know you've got that wonderful sequence where he spews some sort of local legend about conquistadors <laughs> who came across these monstrous crocodiles, mm-hmm. or as he calls them, these dragon creatures. <laughs> and, you know, these, these crocodiles chomped up all the conquistadors, and, you know, and, and it's just a lovely little flourish, this story that he's got about, um, what, what's it, he, he calls it something like, Eligato Diablo. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. It's, uh, it's, uh, to me, things like that, negative about it it might be as though I wish they, they like they cut like five minutes off the end I think the end just 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 goes on a bit too much I think you know especially with the dream sequence and, and yeah yeah I'm like oh, you know you've yeah. got the whole it, it's the whole carry thing like give yeah. them one final jump at the end mm. and again you know what we said about the, the, the spiders in spiders 2 yeah that end bit with the crocodile jumping out the pool that's the only bad Spot of CGI yeah, it is. Yeah, the yeah. Of it. Is well, it? This very charming. The practical effects which mm. were done by um, Robert Hall. Yeah. Uh, you know they're really, really good. You know they they hold up, and you know in terms of the actual design and sculpt of the crocodile, I actually think it, it it looks more formidable and it looks nastier, but it looks it, it it's got more of a more of a cartoon vibe than the original which mm, sort of mm. lets you know that it's you know you're meant to have a good time with it it's, I, I think it's a better scope job and a better look than the yeah. crocodile in the first one mm-hmm. even if on occasion it's you know it, it is kind of obvious but it's just basically a crocodile's head and three quarters of its body being pulled along on a bit of string you know <laughs> like you can you can see that it's getting wheeled along a little bit but mm. it, you know it, it, it works within the context of the movie and it does look very very cool 
Yeah. Is this your king of the three? Is this your, you know, the, 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 the prince of these three sequels? Oh, without doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it's not just because I'm some sort of weird crocodile fetishist. I just think <laughs> it's, um, you know, I, I think it's, it, it, it's the most fun movie of them. I know Octopus 2, we said, is you know, that is a film built around fun and spectacle and all that. But mm-hmm. I like the. I have a real soft spot for sub Tarantino mm. um, <laughs> imitations. <laughs> you know, I really, I really enjoy that bracket of director video filmmaking that sort of followed in the wake of yeah. Pulp Fiction, in the mm-hmm. wake from Dusk Till Dawn, where you know director video screenwriters were sort of paid by the S word, <laughs> and they just thought that they could do films that were like Tarantino esque just by <laughs> just by making their lead characters swear a lot yeah. and wave guns around and stuff and I've got a real a real soft spot for those kind of movies so the fact that Crocodile 2 on one hand is a shameless Tarantino takeoff and also a really cool creature feature involving a friggin crocodile like I, I think my natural uh, predilection is to be all over this movie you know and, I, and, I, and it just so happens that it's very very well done because credit to Gary Jones he Again, he has a tremendous amount of fun with the material. He really angles into the vibe of it, and mm. he keeps things moving. Yeah. You know, uh, going back to what I said last episode about that, that wonderful Joe, Bob's Briggs, uh, Joe Bob Briggs quote mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the movie moves, yeah. Crocodile 2 moves. It is just like hell for leather. Okay, well, we're done for episode two. Um, so everyone should really, really stay tuned for this great chat with... Sam Furstenberg, but as far as we're concerned, um, we'll see you next time. As always, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find me at the Dave Wayne, and with you, sir, uh, at Matty Budrevich. Excellent. So um, we'll see you next time. Yeah. See you later. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out the Schlock and Awe page on Instagram. While you're welcome to stalk Maddie and Dave on Twitter. See you next time on Natural Selection. As promised, here's our chat with Sam Furstenberg. And we began by asking him about American Samurai. Uh, actually, American Samurai was made for what is what I, we, what I call the second canon. It was not made for the same company. It's not really the same canon company. Right. What happened at the end, as you, you mentioned, at the end, at the, at the end of the 80s, Menachem Golan and Euron Globus, they had a split. They, they had a problem. Canon had a problem. Canon was in bankruptcy. Yeah. And, uh, and prior before this, uh, uh, Pareti came as a partner into Canon. So at this point, you know, up to uh, where Pareti came, uh, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus, they were the, the two big uh, managers, let's say, of the company. They were not... Uh, really the owners it was a public company yeah but when Pareti came in and uh, to, to kind of bail them out he came with money and uh, uh, they did not agree uh, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus did not agree on their relationship with Pareti and Menachem Golan decided to leave the company mm-hmm. and he created another company which was called 21st century right so only only uh, Yoram Globus and Pareti stayed in Canon, but then Canon went, went into bankruptcy. I see. And uh, the company was disintegrated, Canon, and uh, all the properties and all the everything they had was uh, was split between uh, the creditor 
Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely all of the movies that I directed ended up in the hand of MGM. Yeah. But there were some other creditors. Uh, some movies ended up in Warner Brother. Um, uh, you know, uh, bankruptcy and the, the, the company ceased to exist. Yeah. Then, later on, I would say a year later or sometime, Yoram Globus, together with Chris Pierce, Christopher Pierce, who was part of the company of Canon, uh, at that point, when the, when the, I'm sorry, I'm taking, uh, going back a little bit, when, oh, no. when Canon uh, ceased to exist, Pareti and Yoram Globus somehow became, they became the head of MGM. Yeah. Pareti came with some money and he bought MGM. And, and, and so Pareti and uh, Yoram Globus uh, were the heads of MGM. Yeah. Meantime, Yoram Globus maintained some of the properties of Canon mm-hmm. in the bankruptcy process. So he, uh, meaning Yoram Globus, together with Chris Pierce, Christopher Pierce, which was part of the of the company, and he was, by the way, an English lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> they created Canon again. They re re resurrected Canon, oh, but see. it was really like a different, completely different company. Mm-hmm. It was so I'm calling it Canon too, and it was Canon, and they uh, they had a very small operation in an office in Los Angeles. And they called me. It was really Chris Pierce, Christopher Pierce, because uh, Yoram Globus was busy in MGM. Yeah. So Chris called me, and you know, he said, man, "I sat with him in the office. We have a new. I knew him very well. He produced all the movies that I made, that I directed for Canon. Yeah. And he told me what's happening. That they want to make. Uh, uh, sorry, let uh, let me back up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're checking my memory. <laughs> so I'm in Israel. All, when all of this is happening, I was in Israel directing a movie with Yuda Barkan. Mm. The day we met. It's called in English, The Day We Met. Yeah. It's a comedy. And I'm directing this movie. And then they come over. Chris Pierce comes over to Israel together with Boaz Davidson, yeah. who is now working for them, to make a movie called Delta Force Number 3. Yeah. And they uh, started, and I don't know, you know, exactly if it was the end of the 80s or the beginning of the 90s, and they are uh, making this movie while I was making, uh, directing this other comedy movie. And by the time I was uh, editing, I was in the editing process of the, the other movie, they ran into troubles, into problems in, in uh, producing uh, Delta Force number three. And I got a telephone call from Chris Pierce, he was in Israel, and he said, uh, I would like you to come and direct uh, Delta Force number three. Uh, you know, I had no preparation and anything, but uh, anyway, it was good for everybody. It was good for them, it was good for me. So I jumped aboard and I directed for them this movie, Delta Force number three. Well, just just, just to interject for one second, it was, <clears throat> it's quite funny actually, I, I was speaking on the phone to Brian Trenchard-Smith, um, a couple of months ago, right, and of course right, he, right. He, it, was, it was him. It was, and, and yeah. they had some fallout. I don't know exactly what happened there. I met him and I spoke with him later, a few yeah. years later, and uh, uh, and and they asked me to come aboard and to, to basically to direct the movie. I, I had no preparation, nothing. I came in and I directed the movie, 
editing, we are done. We finished. And then when I came back to Los Angeles, and all of this was in Israel. Mm. The editing was in Los Angeles already. Yeah. When all of this is done, finished, done, uh, he calls me in, Chris, and he says, I want to make, we want to make something similar to Ninja. Soon after that, you found yourself with a whole different team of producers um, because, of course, you went into directing CyberCup. So how right. did you get to know Avi, Trevor and the two Dannys? Only Saturday and Sunday. The rest of 
was he was the head of Canon in Israel. Right. He was running Canon in Israel. So I I came to South Africa with the rest of the crew mm-hmm. to make the movie American Ninja, which was financed by Avi Lerner ah. and produced by his company for Canon. So they were commissioned to do it for Canon film. Mm-hmm. So that's how I met uh, Avi Lerner. Uh, his brother Danny Lerner, which was just beginning with the company, yeah. Trevor Shaw, and as I told you, Danny Dimbord, I already knew for already 20 years by then. That's right. And so anyway, we did the movie. Now, when Canon disappeared, mm. Canon ceased to exist, Yeah. Uh, new Metro, and there was and the end of apartheid came to South Africa. Mm, mm. You know, Mandela and the National Congress, the African National Congress took over. I think that they were afraid what of what the future of South, South Africa will be. I see. And they had a lot of property, a lot of... Uh, uh, oh, by the way, they, they, they produced few more movies for Canon. I was not involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Quarterman, uh, uh, another movie with Boaz Davidson. Uh, so they they kept so this deal between New Metro and Canon kept kept going. Yeah, yeah. It was an ongoing relationship until the end of Canon. Mm-hmm. So by then they gained some uh, experience with producing movies, not only exhibiting and, this, uh, and uh, distributing, but also producing movies. Yeah. And they bought some equipment. By by the end of it, they had the filming equipment. Uh, Lethal Ninja. Lethal uh, Ninja. Beginning 
title. <laughs> uh, and at some point, uh, you know, once we made a deal that I will be the director, he wanted me to help him to recruit David Bradley because by then I already knew David Bradley yeah, from yeah. American Samurai. Sure. And uh, so I did. I helped them uh, to connect between uh, Danny Dimbord and uh, David Bradley. They made a deal that he will start star in the movie. And meantime, also meantime, also Buzz Davidson moved into their company, and they 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 called it a new name, a new image, a new image. Yeah. So it was based on uh, New Metro. Ah, I see. New Metro, new image. And uh, that's it. We started to write a script with a South South African uh, writer. Yeah. And uh, once there was a script, I went over there with David Bradley and a few uh, other actors, and uh, we made this movie. So that's how the relationship, the beginning of the relationship, formed between me and those those three guys or four guys. But as I told you, I knew them before. Yeah. Yeah. From uh, all of them, from American Ninja Number Two. But how would how would you compare your relationship with them with the relationship you had with Menahem and, and Yoram? Okay, uh, uh, I started with Menachem Golan from the very bottom. Yeah, uh, and I was assistant director to him, and assistant director to other movies in his company. So mm. I started from the bottom, very young. I was. Uh, 23 when I met him 22 so I started with them from the beginning yeah and then based on this knowledge that we, uh, this uh, acquaintance that we already knew each other I continued and made for them uh, direct for them movies yeah yeah and now in the in the the the, the equation let's say call it of, of canon was that Menachem Golan was the creative man your Globus was the money mm-hmm. behind it. Ah. I had little, very little contact with your Globus mm-hmm. through the years because he was the money man. Yeah. And uh, he was busy with running the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was more involved with Chris Pierce, who was usually the head of production, the, the supervising producer. But a lot of connection, a lot of interaction with Menachem Golan because he was on top of the creative part of making the movie and he was very interested in this. This was the this was really the element that drove him. You know, this was his forte was uh, in, uh, in creating the movie. So he was involved usually in the script stage and in the editing stage. He really didn't did not bother me a lot mm-hmm. during the production. Yeah. So this was the relationship. The base of the relationship was mainly creative, storytelling, a mm-hmm. little bit money. Sometimes he would negotiate my salary, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes he would scream at me that I'm over budget. Or, <laughs> but he was not, it was not his job, really. No. It was Chris Pierce and Europe Glows. And so this was the relationship. A new image, the, the new image uh, formula is based on money only. Yeah, Avi Lerner is a businessman. Mm-hmm, Trevor mm-hmm. Shaw is a banker. Danny Dimbord is a distributor. There, among the three of them, there was not a creative person, somebody who yeah. really was really thinking about the story. So they basically hired Boaz Davidson 
I see. In, I see. in the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was the, so here comes the difference in the relationship between uh, the difference yeah. in the type of relationship. With Canon, it was mainly based on the creative part of making movies. In, in a new image, it was really based on budget, sure. money, schedule. They did not care and never got involved in the creative <laughs> part of movie making. And so me being a director or creative person, yeah. I had more uh, rapport, easier and easygoing and uh, more understanding working with Menachem Golan because we yeah. spoke the same language, yeah. the language of storytelling, making movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And less of a, a relationship and rapport with, the, let's say, Avi Lerner or Danny Dimborg because they were not, they are not creative people, they are money people. And it's a subject that I have no interest in and I'm not good <laughs> at. So this is the difference, I would, uh, uh, if I can describe it, this, is, this was the difference. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so you filmed Cyborg Cop and it, it, it does very well. I mean, back in the mid-90s, we were in the, the video store world uh, that's long since departed. But there was obviously a, a demand for a sequel. And um, you, you, you obviously had a, a good working relationship with the four guys. So how did the sequel come about? You're credited as to having a story for that one as well. So, so of course, in this type of companies, whatever Canon or new image doesn't matter. Uh, the, the 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 way of operation. You make a movie, it makes money immediately. You make sequel. Yeah, American yeah, yeah. Ninja, uh, more American Ninja, Cyborg Cup, more Cyborg Cup. Yeah. Because uh, anyway, you know, today Hollywood adapted it in in in, in, in a grand scale. Yeah. <laughs> they just make sequels nowadays in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> so this was the, the the way of operation for these companies. They made money in one movie. So immediately, you know, we are in editing. By that, at that point, uh, uh, New Image was still a pretty small company, maybe four or five people in operation. That's yeah. all. Right, okay. Uh, you know, um, uh, Avi Lerner, uh, Danny Dimbo, Trevor Shore, a secretary. That's it. This right. was the company. Good grief. And in South Africa, they had uh, Danny Lerner. Danny Lerner was in South Africa. They had a little kind of a studio. They bought a... a recreation park, some theme park, something like this, entertainment park, and they turn it into so-called studio. Mm. They had equipment, they bought some equipment from another from another company. So this was the operation in South Africa, and immediately they wanted another movie, again with David Bradley, the same formula, and again we didn't have a script, uh, so as I told you before, the relationship, they didn't care, they, they entrusted the t- Robotic human. That's the only uh, connecting part between. 
between those two movies. <clears throat> Who made that decision and, not uh, to connect it? Was it you that made the decision not to connect it to the first one, or was it just an irrelevance? Was it just not important because the emphasis was put yeah, more? No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was not important to them at all. No. And, and you know, to 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 keep a move a story going, you need to make the same. Uh, ah, not only this, the, those Cyber Cup movies. The Cyber Cup ends up with a, you know, with a, with a definite ending where, yeah. where the villain is is gone. Mm, mm, mm. And we, they didn't want to bring the main girl again, the, the actresses again, the actress again to South Africa. So basically, you have to now to start with a new villain. Yeah. You have to keep the villain alive to do a, a real sequel. True. And if you completely destroy the villain and he's completely dead, then you have to resurrect him from death to make <laughs> a, a real sequel. <laughs> so that, that's the reason we, we needed a completely new story. We didn't have a John, uh, uh, John Ray Davis is over, uh, you know, the... the, the the cyborg, the, the bad cyborg, the, the head cyborg was uh, the actor Rufus. He, he was destroyed. Everything was destroyed because we didn't think we were making a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the reason we have to start with a new story and a, a new beginning. Yeah. But uh, as I told you, in the, com- in, the, in the commercial world of this kind of low-budget action movies, yeah. movies it, it really doesn't matter. It's not like the high-profile movies, uh, uh, like uh, Fast and Furious. No, no, no. And the, the sequel is a real sequel. Exactly. The story continues, you know. Yeah, yeah. In the low budget, all you need to know, all you have to do is to keep the main actor, the star, the same idea. You know, so was the American Ninja sequels. Yeah. Everyone was a different story. So, you, you so yeah, it was a conscious decision. They didn't care anyway. They, mm. they, they can, they could sell the movie this way or that way, and all yeah. they, all they care about is how they sell the movie. Yeah, you finished Cyborg Cup two. I mean, so far in, in your career, you, you've you've pretty much done a film every single year. But there was a big gap mm-hmm. between Cyborg Cup two and Operation Delta Force. Was there, was there any reason behind this? Uh, what was the reason? There was. In be- <laughs> you know, in between, I was approached by an Indonesian company, mm. Rati Film, and they wanted to make, they had already deal with Frank Zagarino to make an action movie. Right. And they wanted me to direct a movie with Frank Zagarino. Mm. While we were talking, they didn't have a script either. All they had was a deal with Frank Zagarino. Yeah. While I'm talking with them, and they also told me, go ahead and write a script. And I used the same writer, John yeah. Stevens, write mm-hmm. a script. They, they, they asked me, since I have relationship with David Bradley, can we bring David Bradley into the, into the formula, into this uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Blood Warrior, the name of the movie, Blood Warrior. Right. And uh, I explained to them that there, there was some kind of a deal that David had to, had to stay with New Image and make another Cyborg Cup. That's the deal they made with it. Yeah. So, but the, the people from Rappi, the brother, Santani brother, they knew Danny Dimbrot very well, you know, within the world of distribution, they know each other. Yeah. And they made a deal with Danny Dimbrot that allowed them to make a movie with David Bradley. Right. And this is the, the movie, Blood Warriors. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I made Cyborg Cup, another Cyborg Cup, 
image was in the beginning you know the yeah. image was making one movie and another movie and i brought a project to new image which i eventually did not direct mm. it was with jeff fay and eric roberts oh yeah fall something falls i i forgot the, the, the it was a, a project that i brought in yeah and according to the deal i was supposed to direct it ah, okay because I was busy with the Santani and the Blood Warrior, I, I, uh, we, we kind of uh, alter our deal that they will give me another movie to direct. And uh, meantime, while I'm finishing Blood Warrior, and uh, they will make the this movie. And therefore, we ended up with doing uh, uh, Operation Delta Force. I don't remember why why the gap was was uh, so big but I was busy all the time were you even in between right I just watched um, Operation Delta Force this afternoon for um, I think the second or third time and uh, I really like it I think it's a, it's a good film some of the uh, some of the cinematography in it is is great and, and I think the location in South Africa really right. does make it a really um, yeah just a really cinematic action film really that's, that's non-stop from beginning to end Mentioned there 
Israel. And huh. I, you know, I was thrown into directing it. And then I, two or three days into directing, I, I realized I don't have a military advisor <laughs> to help me yeah. making a military movie. That's right. And that's pretty crazy because, you know, I make a, a ninja movie. I have Shokasugi with me. <laughs> He's a ninja. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. cast as well, or didn't they? You had Ernie Hudson, Jeff Fahey, Frank right. Zagarino, Joe Lara, yeah. uh, Hal Holbrook. I mean, it's crazy. That That's right. a really strong so cast. They, they had a relationship with Jeff Fahey from the other movie that we yeah. mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So he was the basis. He was the first actor in Jeff right. Fahey because right. of the relationship that they had. At some point, I suggested uh, uh, Ernie Hudson and, you know, the, the casting people or whatever, whoever made the contact. And uh, he came aboard I already knew Frank Zagarino from uh, from the from Indonesia from Blood Warrior. I brought yeah. in Frank Zagarino. They wanted Frank Zagarino. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boaz Davidson uh, knew Joe Lara from the movie he made with him in Israel. Yeah, yeah. So David brought in Joe Lara, and I brought Robert uh, Stewart because I made a television show with him in Israel, mm. uh, Sweating Bullet. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
that yeah. uh, somehow we assembled. And they work together nicely. It was yeah. a good chemistry. Very much so. Very much so. Um, so you left New Image for a couple of films. You did Motel Blue uh, the following year. You did McKinsey's Island with Hulk Hogan. And then, of course, right. come the millennium, you found yourself back working for them again with the alternate. And one film that I'm very intrigued about, which is uh, Spiders 2, Breeding Ground. Um, yes. Can you tell me a little bit more about how Spiders 2 came to land on your desk? Okay. Uh, you, you want to hear more about the, the new Image movies, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, at, at, while I was I was uh, busy a little bit doing McKinsey Island mm. uh, with other companies, busy with other companies. New Image moved the operation from South Africa to Bulgaria. Yeah. The entire operation. Mm. They, uh, I, I don't know the reason, obviously the money, it's all financial. Everything in this company has, is financial motivated. Yeah. Uh, so they moved the operation from South Africa to Bulgaria. And uh, and after I finished the uh, Motel Blue and, and the other uh, and uh, McKinsey Island, uh, my lawyer, the lawyer that negotiated for me the the deal, the Cyber Cup deal, his name is Frank De Martini. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, and I made and uh, Frank is is a good friend of mine, and mm. he found the script for Motel Blue. Ah, Motel Blue. Right. Right. And, and he put together the production, the movie that we did with uh, Sean Young. Mm, mm. And uh, so we finished this movie. And somehow, I don't remember how, I actually I do remember, uh, we invited uh, Avi Lerner to come to the screening of uh, Motel Blue. Yeah. It was the crew, cast and crew screening. So mm -hmm. he came over uh, to the screening of course, by then the company was growing and growing. The, the New Image company—they were making many more movies, uh, and they moved the operation. And uh, he saw the movie, and he—and somehow he—we started to talk, the three of us, and uh, and he asked us if we—and and, uh, we had the script. This script, the alternate, was was. Uh, was written by uh, Brian Genesee, the actor. That's right, yeah, yeah. And he's also a friend of us. He's a part of this group with uh, Zagarino and all, all those people. He's part of yeah. us. And he wrote the this, this script for Alternate that had a different uh, name at that time. And we already knew about it. Frank and me, we knew the script. Yeah. So Ari Lerner was interested to make a movie with Michael Dudikoff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he was, uh, that's the way it worked. He was asking us, do you guys, he, he knew that I, I know Michael Dudikoff. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and do you guys have something? And we just happened to have this script, you know, with yeah. Brian, uh, with Brian Genesee. He said, yeah, we have, we have the script. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called The Replacement. Right. I, I remember the script was called The, Re the, the Replacement. And so he said, let's see if you can, guys can move it. Can you do something in it? With you, Frank, direct, uh, producing it yeah. for us. So Frank will produce it for them. I will direct. We started to move it. Uh, somehow we could not make a deal with uh, Michael Dudikoff mm. because of his agent. I don't know. Right. <laughs> now, in a way, blessing in disguise. Because 
Avi had a relationship with Eric Roberts, mm. again, from the same movie, <laughs> with the waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> so I came to, you know, we came to Avi, we said, we cannot make the deal with uh, Dudikov, and he didn't even know what the script was all about. So he asked me, he asked me, do you think we, it will be good for Eric Roberts? And mm. it, this script will be fantastic for Eric Yeah, Roberts. yeah. So he, uh, through his relationship with Eric Roberts, he presented the script to Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts liked the script. So we decided, uh, of course, you know, uh, originally Brian Genesee wanted to do to be the hero of the movie. And uh, Brian Genesee has credit. He made movies before. Yeah. And they wanted him also mm, uh, mm. to work for the company. Uh, so when Brian realized that Eric Roberts can do his script, he... He voluntarily, you know, oh, right. decided to do the bad guy to, to play the villain, and Eric will play the, the protagonist. And uh, and f- there was a small part that uh, again, uh, uh, Avi Lerner, through his relationship, he brought in Michael Madsen to do this uh, part of few few shooting days. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. To be the head of the. So th- those three guys. You know that the way it works in the low-budget companies, mm. they need a name or two to yes. sell a movie. Mm-hmm. They don't start to produce the movie until they have <laughs> so-called sellable name. You know? yeah, yeah. So, you know, whenever you have uh, David Bradley, Mark DeCoscos, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ernie Hudson, Jeff Fay, yeah, yeah. they need this. So here you have uh, Eric Roberts, Brian Genesee, uh, it was okay, and they, they, added in, yeah. they brought in uh, uh, Michael Madsen. This mm-hmm. is already a good, a good group. Oh, yeah. Then we also had the, the guy who played the, played the president. He was a big uh, star in the uh, soap opera. Oh, in the yeah, world yeah, of soap yeah. opera. Um, John Beck, wasn't uh, it? Yeah. John Beck. Mm. He was big in the soap opera. So now you have four names. We can, you can get movie, uh, uh, movie. Now, the, the script was also good, solid script. It was mm. a good script, you know, because everything makes sense and all the dialogue and the relationship and the advantage for production that it takes place in one location. Mm. The whole yeah. movie takes place in one location. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the company like... Now, uh, unlike New Image, either sent all their production to South Africa, but by then they already sent it to Bulgaria. Yeah. And uh, for some reason I convinced them, I convinced, I don't remember how it was, I convinced Avi Lerner to let's, let's make it in, in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. It, it will have the American look. Uh, you know, we, we were able to achieve an American look in Cyborg Cup number two, the Cyborg Soldier. Yeah. Uh, even in Pretoria. But it's much, much harder yeah, to... Yeah. To achieve American look, so somehow I we explained to to Abi that because it's a one location, it will not be expensive. Of course, you know it's a big difference in expenses between shooting movie in in America or in Bulgaria. Mm. It's a big difference. But we convinced him that because we are contained in one location, yeah. it's going to be not expensive. Yeah, that and makes sense. Somehow they agreed. So mm. we were lucky. Uh, 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 Frank and me, Frank DeMartini and me, and Brian Genesee, that was the writer, uh, many times it's good to have the writer on the set, mm-hmm. we were lucky that they did not really intervene intervene with us, uh, they did not appoint 
Danny Lerner, neither Boaz Davison, nobody was involved in this movie. It was right. really only Frank DeMartini and myself I see. and Brian Genesee. Mm-hmm. And they did not, they didn't bother us and we were lucky enough to shoot in Los Angeles, which is much, much, much easier to yeah, shoot movies yeah, yeah. In, in Los Angeles than in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. So next was Spiders 2. Yeah. But the whole story contained within one ship 
and there is no way out. No. Uh, based on Alien, you know, the same same formula and a woman, an actress, a, a female hero. Yeah. Uh, very strong female hero. So basically, it's a, it's a, it's a low-budget Alien. Very low-budget Alien. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think... <laughs> I think after, I don't want to compare, of course, to such a classic. But no, no, no. But I, th- but I think this after was our model. I think after talking to Stephen, I think um, Danny and, and the guys they they had the location first, didn't they? So they had the location, and the idea was to pretty much map the script. Yeah, so by then yeah. they wanted to go to Bulgaria, yeah. you know, because they already acquired a place in Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. It was not really a studio; it was an an uh, an old sports center, Soviet-style sports center, yeah. which had a swimming pool, but it was dilapidated, you know, not in use anymore. So mm-hmm. there was a, a swimming pool, big swimming pool, a few other rooms, and they already had this place. Yeah. And, uh, of course, in, in Bulgaria, in Sofia, there is Boyana Studio that today they control, they own it, but, but at that time they did not. But, you know, all the services, uh, developing, uh, sound stages, so they already had offices over there in Sofia, in Bulgaria. They had this complex, as I told you, the mm. dilapidated complex. Yeah. And they wanted to use it. They wanted to go and shoot over there. Mm. Of mm. course, uh, when you say location, is not uh, the whole location. The, the story location is in a ship. Yeah. The entire movie takes place in a ship. So it's not really a, a, a story location, but they had the physical location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we couldn't do everything in Sofia because because we were dealing with sheep. Uh, some parts we had to go to the... Some parts of the movie were shot in the Black Sea, ah. in the southern part of Bulgaria. Right. Because we needed uh, we needed some part of the movie to do in, in, in the ocean, in the mm, sea, mm. with a real sheep. So uh, part of the movie, out of the eight weeks, let's say two weeks, we were down in the Black Sea. I see. Shooting there. Um, I mean, one of the funny things about this film is that, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about um, the sequels that they made the same year, the, the same year they made Crocodile 2 and Octopus 2. And Philip, if you, you have a specific link with both of those films. So let, let me ask you about the first one. With regard to Crocodile, you're credited as the second unit director for the first film right. that Toby Hooper directed. Right. What, what, what right. did you have to do with that exactly? Yeah. They struck a deal with the Toby Hooper. Yeah. I know Toby Hooper from the day of uh, Canon. Right. Because he, he directed three movies with Canon. We were editing in the same corridor. So that's why we got acquainted. Yeah. In Canon, years earlier. Mm. They hired Toby Hooper to direct the Crocodile. Mm. And, and the movie was filming in Los Angeles. Yeah. Nothing to do with me. I'm not connected yet. No, what, no. what I'm telling you now. Mm-hmm. The movie ran into big, big, big troubles with the union. Yeah. It's documented with the with the trade unions. Yeah, yeah. Professional unions, cinematographers. It was a war. It was there was a big war between New Image and the union. Mm. And they decided to stop shooting in the middle. The unions. It was. It became violent. Right. I'm still not involved at all. I'm not part of it at mm-hmm. that point mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> it became violent. They stopped. They decided. In, in, they didn't want to give to give in to the studios. Yeah. To the unions. So they quit. They stopped the 
shooting in the middle of the movie. Mm -hmm. They paused, and then they moved it to Mexico, away from the Union, yeah. to continue the filming. When they went to Mexico and continued the filming, they decided that because of everything that happened prior, they are really behind schedule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because of the and they just and uh, and they decided to hire a second unit director to you know to help in the schedule to move on the schedule on with the schedule mm. and they needed somebody the director that is from the director guild because Toby Hooper is part of the American Directors Guild Directors Guild of America you have to hire a second unit also from this is the regulations I see and I am a member. And I know them, and I know Toby, so I guess they asked Toby Hooper if he's okay to bring Sam Furstenberg into the second unit. I see, yeah. So I became a second unit director to Toby only in this Mexican part of making the movie, not mm. in the Los Angeles part of it, mm -hmm. of the filming. So I went down to Mexico with them, and whatever Toby asked me to do, I did. Yeah. And uh, we basically worked two shifts. The first unit was working daytime mm. during the day, and our unit was working nighttime, or the other way. Yeah. The yeah. first unit had to use, and whatever, you know, I, because we know, we knew each other, and we know each other, and I, I really went there to, to, to do whatever Toby wanted me to do. I didn't want to do. So they really designated me with action sequences that have to do with the crocodile, with, with the crocodile itself. I, I didn't work on any dialogue, scene, nothing. All, all my directing was action-related. Uh, sometimes part of a scene, not complete scene, sometimes a complete scene. Uh, but it all had to do with the crocodile, with the giant crocodile, with this mechanical crocodile, and mm. action, and fire, and explosion, and things like this, mm. to help. And, you know, I, I always asked. So it was not... Not the traditional second unit that sometimes in the big action, in big uh, Hollywood movies, yeah. the second unit director sometimes never meet the first unit director. True. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in the same hotel and we were talking every day, and I did exactly, and I, I, I told him what my suggestions, what I'm going to do, if he's approving it or not. So I'm basically, I was complimenting his work. I, I did whatever yeah. he needed me to do, and that's how. I'm credited, and I—that's I, the the work I did in Crocodile. And of course, your your your, your great friend uh, Frank DiMartino was producing it as well, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Frank was the producer, and mm. Frank, and that's part of the equation. Yeah. Part of the reason I came aboard, and Danny Dimbord, uh, sorry, Danny Lerner was the producer, and uh, and both of them they had this uh, problem with the. <laughs> Angeles Union. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we were all you know, the same group, the same people. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Except, uh, Toby. So that, that's your connection to Crocodile, but you also have a connection to Octopus in some respects, especially the sequel. No. Um, well, no. A, a semi, a semi. Uh, bear with me, bear with me. Um, no, okay, okay. In that um, the director of Octopus 2 is, of course, a guy who, who, who was your cinematographer for four films, uh, Yossi. Oh, that's the only connection. Yeah, yeah. So what what kind of relationship did you have with him? Okay, so, right. Well, let me tell you about Yossi Vine. Wine or Vine. Uh, Yossi was a cinematographer, an Israeli cinematographer. Yeah. And, where, 
some point, uh, when, when uh, they established new image production company in South Africa, hmm. South Africa was the industry, the film industry in South Africa was basically uh, a television commercial oriented. Sure. They did, there was no producing, there was no movie making in South Africa. Mm. Maybe local comedies or something, I don't know, but not really. All the workers, all the film workers, the movie workers were really oriented uh, uh, commercial for television. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the people who work on television, but because this was video, we were working film. So there were there were, there were crew member, but they were not really geared for big big production. So they brought in from Israel, uh, you know, Danny Danny Lerner brought in from Israel few Israelis mm. filmmakers to come and help. Yeah, and because in Israel there was a very thriving. Uh, Industry. You know, they, they, in Israel, they made big movies. You mm -hmm. know, Jesus Christ, Superstar, yeah. uh, Iron Eagle, big American Hollywood production. Mm. And the, the the crew members, the Israeli crew members, were much more experienced. In uh, actually, when we when we made the uh, American Ninja Number no. Two in South Africa, half of the crew were Israelis. Right. The cinematographer, the the gaffer, the grip, uh, the, all the key people came from Israel. By then, uh, when I came back to do Cyber Cup, the, the, the South African crew was much more was more experienced mm, mm. Uh, in making making feature movies. But still, there were few Israelis around. One of them was the cinematographer Yossi Wine that mm. moved to South Africa and was working with New Image. The other one was David Varrod, the production designer. Yeah, and uh, those are the two that I remember at the moment. Now. So I didn't. I did not know. I didn't know Yossi Vine from Israel from the day that he was a cinematographer in Israel. Except that he was. I'm, I'm actually. I'm wrong. He was the second unit cinematographer in the uh, Delta Force Number Three. Mm -hmm. So I already knew him. Uh, the main. The main cinematographer was uh, Avi Karpik. Yeah. Yossi Vine was the second unit, mm -hmm. and I was directing the two units. There was no second unit director. Mm. Uh, you know, of course, we had a stunt coordinator, uh, uh, Norris, but uh, uh, but uh, I was directing the two units. So that's how I met Yossi Vine first mm. in uh, Delta Force Number no. Three. But when I came to South Africa to do Cyber Cup, I really started to work with him. Yeah. And as you mentioned, very talented cinematographer. The look of all those movies, he, he was the, the cinematographer on the two Cyborg movies, Cyborg Cup, mm -hmm. and Operation uh, uh, Delta Force. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this was my relationship with him. He was there all the time. I was not. I was really in Los Angeles going to South Africa, shooting a movie, directing a movie, coming back to Los Angeles. Mm, mm. Yossi Vine and Danny Dimbo and Danny Lerner were there all the time, right. uh, operating. And uh, there were a few more Israeli, Jacob, Jakob Buchmann was the key grip. As I said, David Varod was the, so all of them are Israeli. Uh, I guess that uh, Yossi wanted to direct all the time, and he was actually the director of the first Ninja movie that we spoke about. Lethal Ninja, the, yeah. The first movie that New Image... Uh, mm. So then, at some point, they kind of uh, he moved from uh, 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 filming, from uh, being a cinematographer, to directing movies for them. They kind of entrusted him with a with a lower 
even lower budget than, than <laughs> the low budget that we made. <laughs> and uh, so that's uh, how he came to also to Bulgaria to do to direct yeah. uh, this octopus movie. But I was never in relationship with Yossi Vine when he was directing. I see. My relationship with him was only as a DP, director of photography. Mm-hmm. But you got on well with him. He had a good working relationship. Yeah, very good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. off um, uh, and we'll go back to Spiders 2 momentarily so how as I mean you've been an action director all, all your life I mean you know that that's um, what you'll be remembered for because you, you've directed some of the greatest action films um, of that era but how would, yeah. would you re- how would you regard that one foray into sci-fi uh, slash horror with Spiders 2 was it a good experience Yeah. Very good experience. The truth is, if you know people who read some interviews or whatever that that I've done, this was not my intention at all to become <laughs> an action director no. when I went to film school mm-hmm. and I started my career or the way I envisioned my career in, in movie making. No. I, I, I had different intention, but... Uh, Nonetheless, that's how I ended up being an action director, and you know, it, it, it happened that it suited me. My, you know, my my skills, my character led uh, to to the existence or to the creation of a couple of good action movies, and I enjoyed it a lot because uh, I found out with time that really directing action is really pure cinema. You mm. had to deal with with silent cinema you have to make you have to make sequences a whole big sequences with no one word yeah. spoken yeah. only with visual means uh, you know action sequence you cannot you don't rely on dialogue you rely on cinematic means only and and i found it interesting and challenging and so on but i was happy every time i got a chance i was very happy every time i got a chance to do a non action movie mm-hmm. because of what i told you before so, you know, the dance movie, Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, yeah. was uh, fantastic. I loved it. <laughs> uh, there is no big difference between dance movie and action movie. <laughs> They're kind of similar. But I was happy, you know, not I don't have to deal with blood and explosions mm-hmm. and helicopters. Mm-hmm. 
And later on, I, I directed a comedy in Israel the day we met. We mentioned it. And it was really pleasure, great pleasure. Uh, I worked with comedians and, uh, and, and, and you know, dialogue-based movie uh, that I really enjoyed a lot. It was was kind of a successful movie in Israel. It was a hit in Israel. Mm. And uh, in Hebrew, it was a Hebrew movie. Then I had the, you know, I had the chance to do McKinsey Island, which yeah. supposed supposed to be also comedy, not action. It has an action sequence with mm, mm. both. But you know, I had to work with uh, uh, Hulk Hogan and uh, Robert yeah. Vaughn, which mm-hmm. are not action people at all. No. And and uh, then I I did that psychological thriller with Sean Young, uh, Motel Blue, not yeah. action at all. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, very, very happy. But uh, I was uh, specifically happy to do this... Uh, you know, sci-fi. Uh, you know, in my movies, if you look through the movies that I directed through the years, they were influenced by big-budget movies. Yeah. Uh, 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 Ninja Three: The Domination is heavily influenced by Poltergeist. You know, the movie yeah. Poltergeist and mm-hmm. The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was happy to do something, as I told you, something that would be similar uh, in the vein of Alien, of the movie. Aliens and aliens. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and the Cybercup movies are influenced by Robocop. Sure. Uh, 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 so uh, I was very happy to, 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 to see what I can do in a, in a kind of a, uh, horror. It's not really sci fi, I don't know where it falls. It's a sci fi thriller, <laughs> a sci fi horror picture. But, uh, uh, but where a director has to create a lot of tension. Sure. In an action movie, you have to create thrill. The director mm-hmm. has to create a lot of excitement and thrill. In this type of a movie, the director has to create tension. Yeah, uh, has to create uh, you know the scary movie. It's not a horror movie, uh, uh, Toby Hooper type of a horror movie that you have to create the jump and the scares. Mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't have to do this. But in a, this kind of movie, like Aliens, you you have to create the tension uh, that you know that the audience sits at the edge of the seat. Just waiting to see what will happen next. Yeah. What, what, what's behind the corner? What, what what will happen when you move to the next corridor? Uh, is the is the danger lurking over there behind the corridor? So I was happy with this challenge because uh, again, it's a cinematic challenge. It's not a dialogue based, but it's rather it's a visual cinematic uh, based uh, elements that uh, I have to deal with. So I was happy to do it. Very happy. And there was a lot of special effects, which I was also... It's the first time I dealt with the CGI, with the digital spider and digital ocean. And, and so it was another air, area that, of course, uh, Steve Brook helped me a lot because that, this, was, this is his expertise. Mm-hmm. So he helped me, a lot, helped me a lot in this field, uh, how to create uh, uh, objects from nothing. We yeah. were shooting a scene and, uh, and there is no spider, nothing. There's only green screen. <laughs> and uh, it's an it's a extra challenge for the director to make sure that uh, everything at the end will, will come together and 